0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithloday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Uh, Joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, Adam Holland. How are you doing?
1: Hey, doing well. Uh, Still trying to stay cool in mid-October, but uh, no complaints.
0: Yeah, I know, man. I've been sleeping with the window open. It's uh, it it it's weird. You know, I wake up and it's you know freezing and fog is rolling in, but like I'm all comfy in my winter blanket. I dig it. And then you know by mid afternoon, I'm sweltering and taking my socks off. And <laughs> <I don't> know, <laughs> welcome to Oregon, I suppose. Yeah uh good football weather and uh but football is not uh the only sport that the ducks are playing um uh oregon women's volleyball has been uh on a hot streak although they've stumbled um the last two games during this or matches during the uh the washington swing uh you've been covering uh women's volleyball a bit and you wrote up uh mimi collier uh what do you think about this team so far uh, I think the team team looks uh, pretty good. A lot of
1: potential. It's uh, like still a fairly young team, and uh, Coiler is uh, really yeah, she's she's killing it. And um, I mentioned that in my article that uh, this was um, only the second time that a, uh, a freshman had won a conference player of the week five or more times already. And uh, the fact is that uh, they're, they're, you know, still got the rest of October and then, like, November to play. And she's already won that award five times. And so that's not five times during the course of a full season. That's five times in almost half a season. So they definitely found a diamond in the rough with her. And I think you were seeing them really start to come together as a team during that hot streak. Now, unfortunately, I feel like I, I, I might have jinxed it a little bit by throwing that article out there about how they were on a hot streak, because they did stumble um, up in Washington against the Cougars and Huskies. Now, that being said, uh, they still showed uh, plenty of fight, especially at Washington, who's a a top 20 team, and uh, losing in five sets to both both teams so it wasn't like that they got knocked out or anything like really yeah they didn't,
0: they didn't get swept in fact the Pullman one was a little frustrating because I think you know they were up you know and then they sort of let it slip away from them um it is interesting Hannah Pukas um has been absent and she's you know she was on like you know one of the uh the 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 you know it was interesting cuz she she was on all these like watch lists for awards and, and uh you know on top of that she would you know she, I believe she transferred from Washington state and so like that was going to be the the like you know welcome back game and then she she didn't play in either one of them and I, I don't think we've gotten any word on why that is um it's just you know j- just sort of weird um
1: yeah uh, had, had not heard any info about an injury or a, a personal problem or anything like that so her absence was heavily felt but uh, also kind of confusing
0: yeah um it, you know the the momentary stuff aside you know the trajectory of this team looks pretty good um you know like you mentioned with with mimi collier and, and you know some other players like it's not it's not exactly like a super senior laden team. Like this doesn't feel like a team that's like, you know, they've been working towards this for four years. And this is the last hurrah, you know, of this, you know, group of ladies who've been together for all this time. This is like, this has been, you know, excellent recruiting, some good transfers and, uh, and it's a young team, you know, like it sort of feels like this team is just getting started, you know?
1: Yeah, it definitely, definitely kind of gives you a a, a sense of of, of what kind of women's basketball was like in like 2017, where you Mm -hmm. kind of were like, you have this unbelievable freshman who's, you know, already starting to set records and you just have a young team overall. And, um, you know, historically, at least the last decade, Oregon's uh, volleyball has been very good. And um, let's not uh, completely discount them as a, as a potential team, to uh, break that uh, something other than track and field national championship uh, Lowell, we've been going through here.
0: Yeah. I definitely think that they are going to be a contender, you know, uh, yet again, um, you know, the, their next, uh, trip, uh, they've been playing at home a lot. And so they stumbled, you know, when they went on the road, although they do have some, you know, some impressive road victories, um, you know, earlier in the season during non-conference play when they went to Coral Gables and they played South Carolina and Miami. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they had lost their other two, um, you know, power five out of conference games to Minnesota and Penn state, which were both ranked teams, you know, in mi- Minneapolis. And then the rest of their non-con, uh, slate was played in the state of Oregon. Uh, you know, a couple of Eugene games and a couple of Portland games, interestingly. Um, and then conference plays, uh, had, had again, been all in the state of Oregon, you know, they opened with, uh, Oregon state, you know, in Corvallis, but then, you know, they beat number five Stanford you know and swept them actually you know i you know probably the most impressive you know match of the season um but that was in eugene uh, you know and so was sweeping the uh the arizona schools i mean there, there was really was a six to zero sweep against arizona and arizona state but again in eugene and so you know they leave town and they lose you know you know two to three uh uh both times to Wazoo and to Washington and Washington's a ranked team as well. And and they were missing Pukas, which is weird, you know, but it's still like, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of the road record. And so, you know, this upcoming weekend, um, they're going down to Los Angeles uh, to play USC on Friday and uh, UCLA on Sunday um, neither team are ranked right now, but I think they both still have like pretty decent teams and may wind up ranked, you know, later, uh, later on. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Um, what are you looking for, uh, uh, out of the performance this weekend against the LA schools? Um,
1: I'm, I'm looking for kind of, like you said, uh, it was a little frustrating at Washington state, uh, for them to be able to, to, to hold on to leads a little better, um now granted, like we said, this is a young team. Uh young teams tend to do better at home. Uh they're not not quite as uh, much road veterans. Uh but once 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 they get ahead, it's important to really uh go ahead with that defense. And um that's kind of like uh what I've been impressed with uh with Coiler is that um not only has you know she been registering so many kills, but uh so many digs as well. And so that just shows the talent that she has on on, on offense and defense. And so, um, yeah, really what I would like to see out of them is just a little more uh, killer instinct on the road. Uh, I think as a young team, that should really kind of bolster their confidence. And the schedule looks pretty favorable for them the rest of the season. They play a lot more home games. Uh, they get another crack at the Washington schools. And so, uh, yeah, I think this weekend will tell you a lot about uh, their ability to Kind of bounce back to have, show a little grit and grind on the road there, and uh yeah, hopefully we can get a couple wins out of this and keep the momentum they built from that win streak going.
0: Well, I think that's the the basic structure of uh, of women's volleyball is that you play uh, you play everybody in the conference twice, one at, one at home and one on the road. Although I think they only get. I think the exception is Stanford. They, they only get one against them and it was at home and Oregon swept them. So like (laughs) that's nice. Stanford doesn't get a chance at revenge, I guess. Um, So, yeah, but you know, getting a couple, you know, a couple of these road, you know, series out of the way. So the balance of the rest of the schedule, you know, is is pretty friendly, you know, looks nice to me. Um, So the USC uh, game on Friday night uh, is going to be on PAC 12 networks. And then on Sunday, uh, the game, our match against UCLA is going to be uh, on ESPNU on the mouse. So uh, you know, tune in. Uh, I got to say, I I I did this last week um, or uh yes or this sunday we're recording on tuesday night uh i you know was doing my film review of the oregon versus arizona football game uh, on sunday it was such a short game because it went into garbage time um that like i actually finished my film usually takes me like two days um Cause like, I barely get the video processed by Sunday and then I get like a little bit of film study in, but then like I'm doing most of, you know, the, the real film study and the article composition on Monday. Um, But on uh, with the Arizona game, it was over so quick, you know, it was like, you know, only 46 snaps on offense, only 36 on defense before garbage time that I actually finished it up while I was watching um, them uh, play Washington. Um, uh, and like, boy, I got to tell you, like, if you've got like a project to work on, on Sunday, uh, having one screen to watch volleyball and another screen to do like your work, like it, it's great. Like I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to do that, um, uh, in the future uh, as well. I highly recommend the experience because volleyball is so fast paced. Um, there's always, you know, something going on. Uh, yeah, it, it was just great. I love it
1: yeah i agree um always always been an enjoyable uh sport for me to watch i have to have to be a little biased because my wife is a former volleyball player uh but no it's 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 high octane um it's it's exciting it's it's fun and uh, yeah oregon has a lot of potential for this season
0: all right let's take a break uh we come back we'll talk about uh, the football game against arizona All right, Adam, I suppose you traveled down to Tucson to watch this one.
1: <laughs> Believe it or not, I wasn't able to make the trek, uh, but it was still uh, still another enjoyable performance to watch.
0: Were you worried about eerie desert magic uh, uh, undoing <laughs> the ducks yet again?
1: You always wonder a little bit about that, uh, just considering everything that's happened. Um, them ripping up their uh, natural grass turf in favor of uh, artificial turf, Kind of gave me a sense that maybe the curse was going away with that grass, but hmm. uh, no, I, no, I, I had, I had full confidence that they would take care of Arizona, and uh, that they did. Uh, now I cannot say that I thought that they would be as good on the defensive side of the ball as they were. Um, Arizona, even though you know they're not like in the upper echelon of the of the conference, they're not in the lower either, and they've got they've got a legit offense, especially through the air. And, yeah, definitely. Um, again you know you saw you know a, a score during garbage time for Arizona but for the most part you know they they had, they had been holding them uh, you know under 20 points for like almost the entire game at least any time that the, the first teams uh, were facing sure. each other and you know, this is uh, this is a lanning's calling card this is what you're seeing and he's you know even against high octane offenses in in the in the, the Pac 12 He's, he's being able to institute it so far. Now, the real the real test is going to come against Chip and you know his offense because you know how, how good those offenses are. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really liking. We got a bye week. I got to do
0: so much film study on UCLA. Come on, man! Like, give me a break. I, I don't want to talk about UCLA till next week.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll 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 leave that for next time. But, I'll say. Um,
0: as far as the desert magic goes and, like, Oregon exceeding expectations, like, I definitely felt like a big bump in confidence when um, Washington went down to Arizona State in uh, in Tempe earlier in the day. Because I was like, that's it. The, the football gods are appeased, you know, the the, the gods <laughs> of the desert you know, have gotten their their Pacific Northwest sacrifice. And like that game, I mean, Washington looks like their defense is actually just really just straight up bad. And, you know, that's why the walk-on backup quarterback was able to shred them um yeah. but like there was still like and so like like on the fundamentals Washington deserved to lose or at least to be in a super close game but like there was zany desert magic in that game you know like like the throw where the where Penix puts the ball on <laughs> the, uh, off of the lineman's helmet and it pops up for a pick six it's just like there it is there's the desert magic okay that's it yep. that's what you get you know desert gods like now you have to leave <laughs> us alone you know <laughs> in the next game uh yeah. Uh, I gotta say though, for doing film study on Arizona, this game, you know, went down pretty much how I expected, at least on offense. Um, you know, when, when Oregon had the ball, I mean, um, just Arizona's defense, well, their rush defense is atrocious. And, you know, so Oregon running all over them was not a surprise at all. And then like, as I've been saying for a long time, you know, if you can run the ball, you are like 75% of the way to winning a game, you know, it's just such a versatile tool. Um, and then like Arizona's pass defense. It was interesting because like they, they had three games, the three games that they played in the middle of their five game schedule to date, you know, they, it was like 43% defensive efficiency. In other words, the, the opponent 57% of the time when they would throw the ball, you know, would gain sufficient yardage to stay ahead of the sticks, um, which is not a good number at all. However, uh, in their first and in their fifth game against, uh, um, uh, uh, San Diego state and, uh, in Colorado, um, their pass defense efficiency jumped to 63%, meaning, you know, only, uh, only 37% of the time when the opponent passed the ball, they got enough yardage. Um, which is like, that's a crazy swing, like a 20 point swing in efficiency, um, is like bonkers. Um, and, and I was like, you know what I- I'm watching film and this is, you know, and, and you know who San Diego state's quarterback is.
1: <laughs> um, I, I cannot it, say. It should be anything. a
0: familiar name to you. He was a former Duck. You want to guess?
1: Well, I know Robbie Ashford is in uh, Auburn. Now nah, he's
0: right? in Auburn. He's he's yeah. he's doing not bad. He's kind of fun to watch. I turn on Auburn games actually just to root for him. No, San Diego State's starting quarterback is Braxton Burmeister.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: And, uh... Um, <laughs> well,
1: any anybody anybody who's been following ATQ for uh, many years now knows how I feel about Braxton Burmeister. So. Yeah.
0: So like, I feel like, you know, I put that in my preview article where I was like, I kind of think that, so like between 63% in games one and five and 43% in games two, three, and four, it sort of averaged out to like a perfect 50%. And, I, but I was like, you know, I don't even think that they are 50%. I, I think they're closer, you know, to being, you know, a, a bad passing defense and they're just getting buoyed by like terrible quarterback play you know from burmeister and mccown um and i feel like as soon as i put in that the, their stats are buoyed by playing braxton burmeister i was just like everybody who read that article is like probably nodding their head at home you know like oh yeah no definitely yeah
1: yeah <laughs> so, makes makes total sense all of a sudden
0: so you know that was you know oregon scored touchdowns on seven straight drives and it's like you're not you know doesn't even matter how good the opposing offense is really if they're allowing that you know there's no way they're going to win a game but then like uh and then the other thing is that arizona's rush offense is just not very good yes i know they broke off that you know big run it was weird um It's actually funny that there is there is a question on that big run about which linebacker is out of position, whether it's supposed to be a twist or if, you know, it's supposed to sort of play straight. And so I put in my article, I think it's Flo who's responsible for this. And then everybody on every forum that I posted my article to just wants to tell me like, no, no, it's Sewell. Look, look, it's Sewell. Uh, It's, you know, I I gotta, I I gotta like take this lesson, you know, that I should put like one, you know, dramatically eye-catchingly potentially incorrect thing in every article because it ups audience engagement. (laughs) Apparently, it's just like I've heard from about 50 different Duck fans today like, no, it's Sewell, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's the point of conversation that that, uh, Sewell is Actually, human when it comes to tackles and and missed assignments.
0: (laughs) Well, that has been an interesting thing because, you know, like both Sewell and Flo came in at the same time with the same, you know, rating. Um, but like Sewell's been playing the whole time and Flo's missed a whole lot of time with, with, you know, various injuries and other concerns, I think. Um, and, and like you can see the difference in their like just present developmental level. You know, Flo's just playing a little more like a wild man. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I don't know, like it's uh it, it was interesting to sort of provoke that discussion. Um the the other thing that was really interesting about Oregon's um uh defense against Arizona's passing game, which is definitely like their best aspect of their football team and like the for real part of their offensive like talent upgrade, like what Jed fish did, you know, those, those dudes that he brought in are, are like for real Um is that Oregon employed like a new defensive structure on, on a bunch of their snaps. They, they, they deployed like a modified 33 stack, which is like, They hadn't done that before. That was really interesting. It makes sense, you know, put a a third inside linebacker on the field because, like, the way that Arizona's passing attack works is really, they really just do one thing in their passing game that's pretty good, which is these, like, you know, these dig routes, uh, you know, about, like, 12 to 15 yards deep in the middle of the field. And, like yeah, so just have another inside linebacker in there to provide more underneath coverage of those throwing lanes, and and it worked, you know, like they instead of those, they were hitting like shorter slant passes, you know, they were they were completing them, but instead of getting like 20 to 25 yard gains off of those digs, it was more like 7 yard gains and then immediately getting tackled, which like even if you're allowing that to happen which like Oregon did a pretty good job there was like 56.5% defensive efficiency, Um, so you know in other words oregon flipped arizona from being a good passing attack that was like above average in all of their stats to a bad you know or below average one anyway like that was how effective oregon's passing defense was um and but even though they were allowing some completions it's like you know if you're only getting seven yards at a time and in order to go 75 yards down the field you've got to you know execute more than 10 plays you know successfully on the other hand you know if you're getting 20 yards you know every pass you only gotta you know succeed on like four of them so like you know it's a it's a big difference forcing a team to be methodical and and the vast majority of teams that oregon is going to play make having forcing them to to pull off methodical drives against the talent oregon's defense is just not something they're going to be able to do and like that's definitely what you saw in this game you know
1: yeah 100 percent and then um, on the on the flip side, uh, for Oregon's passing game, um, you you just continue to see this uh, this this new attitude and this new uh, new outlook for Bo Nix. Um, granted, you know against Georgia, he didn't look good, but nobody did. That was you know probably the worst game Oregon's played in a long, 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 long time. Mm, yeah. uh, but then you you look at the rest of the season. And um, it, it really, it, it seems like Nick's is finally having fun playing football. Um, I oh, think down right. at Auburn, he was you know under a lot of pressure. His father went there. Uh, the SEC fans, you know, can be absolutely brutal if you're not competing for a national title. Um, and I, I just, it, it looks like he's enjoying himself out there, uh, but not only is he enjoying himself, but he, he's just become so reliable for Oregon uh, with his passing. Um, well, just, it's you know, accurate. Never- I mean,
0: that, uh, that's the you know coming off of the Anthony Brown year where like you know I defended Anthony Brown you know a lot uh, I don't actually think he was a terrible quarterback or anything but just like but just the inaccuracy was so tiresome you know just like Anthony that is not where the ball is supposed to be placed you know and and like Bo Nix is not I mean can you think of one inaccurate pass that he's thrown I mean he has a couple but like they don't they don't like stand no, out in your I mean, memories, just like you know pulling your hair out the way that we were doing last year, right?
1: No, yeah, it's it's night and day. It's almost it's like he's it's like he's got a magnet in the football or something hooked up to the receiver's hands at this point. Uh, I've just been very impressed and pleased with with how efficient he's been.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing that I'm sure he's enjoying at Oregon compared to when he was at Auburn is that he has an offensive line that is actually capable of protecting him and, and wide receivers who are actually capable of catching the ball. And like a lot yeah. of them, um, I mean, it was remarkable, you know, when I was doing film study on Auburn, which I wound up doing for like a variety of projects over the years. Um, it's just like that team doesn't have an offensive line, doesn't have any wide receivers. And it's like, how did you expect the quarterback to succeed? You know, like, oh. it, you know, but like football and football commentary is so quarterback centric that it's like, well, the 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 passing stats are bad, therefore Bo Nix is bad, and it's like, yeah. come on, like can you you know do, does no one have the capability of writing any more like sophisticated analysis than that? No. No, I guess I, the answer I mean, is I mean, no because I'm I have a job. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean,
1: I career. I agree a hundred percent. Now, I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and badmouth all of Alabama's quarterbacks, but a lot of times their success is pretty much based on the the skill players and the protection the offensive line gives them. And yeah, you see that a lot and you see that a lot when they transition to the next level. It's like, "Oh, okay, they were like the greatest player on earth at Alabama, and they get to the NFL and it's like, huh." So, I agree. I think Nick's unfortunately was a victim of yeah, poor protection and uh, just not not enough night guys to throw to.
0: Um and, uh, uh, you know, I also think that like play calling it at, at Auburn was not, you know, real great, you know, uh, and, and I think that we've all sort of been pleasantly surprised by Kenny Dillingham, um, You know, as a young signal caller, uh, I think you've got an article going up later this week about, you know, Kenny Dillingham's play calling. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, But, yeah, it's it's been a lot of, uh, you know, it's certainly been enjoyable to watch like a full open playbook and, and and utilizing Oregon's talent advantage against a team like Arizona that just can't, you know. They, they've got a couple of individual pieces who are OK, um, but like, you know, just on the whole, they can't resist what Oregon wants to do. And, and and the other thing that was nice to see in the Arizona game was that I really appreciated at Dillingham was that, like he would change up the play calling based on the Arizona defensive structure. So like I put this in my article and talked about it a bit that like Arizona starts out with a too high safety structure and they're running the ball um, and, and throwing short passes. Um, and then, you know, because Oregon is so successful running the ball, they, they pull down one of the safeties into the box and, and Oregon runs over that safety. So they're like, damn it, you know, we, okay, we got to get both safeties into the box now and Oregon is still successful running the ball, but now they don't have any safeties over the top. So what does Oregon do? they start throwing deep shots. You know, they threw that big one to Chris Hudson. They threw a nice one to Coda and to Franklin and a couple other guys. It's just like, yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like, you start by running the ball and then it's like, like it accelerates, you know, like, you know, because yeah. the way the defense has to adjust, you know, opens up, you know, deep throwing opportunities, which is like, this is like, you know, this isn't football 101. This is football like 201, I guess, but like it's cool. still nice to see, you know, it's nice to see play calling. It's just like, yeah, I'll exercise in a, you know, a, a talent advantage in one aspect of the game. And then as the defense, you know, changes, I will take advantage of those changes and express my talent advantage in a different way that's appropriate. It's just like, oh, this is like sensible. Like there's, yeah, I, I liked seeing that. Like, I guess it sounds a little simple to to say, but like, yes, you should call the plays against the area where the defense is weakest right now. Like, huh? <laughs> How about that?
1: Yep, it's 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 freedom. It's the freedom that that Lanning is giving, and it's 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 fun to see. It's it's made made Oregon's offense fun to watch again.
0: I, I also, you know, something that I never thought that I would see, um, they've been running some I-Formation plays, um, which, like, I, I don't think I had seen that since, like, 2003, you know, like like in in, in Andy Ludwig year. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, Definitely uh, not
1: since they went spread option.
0: And, uh, like I counted it up and, uh, Oregon's run seven different plays out of the eye formation, um, inside and outside power, obviously, but they've also run QB sneaks and, um, and a uh, fullback dive once, uh, although in garbage time, um, they, uh, they ran, um, uh, they against Stanford. They did a bootleg. Uh, to the right, although Nick's uh, saw it was open, and so he just scrambled for the the touchdown, didn't throw it. Um, they threw uh, against Wazoo. They threw a tight end leak out to McCormick. Uh, for a touchdown. Um, and then in this game, they added the seventh play, which was the Madavao tight end sweep play that they got a touchdown on. So like. So not only is this a new formation that Oregon's put on tape that opponents have to worry about, but like every game they've added a new thing, you know, it went BYU, you know, uh, Wazoo, Stanford, Arizona, each of those four games, they added something new out of the I formation that they would run. So it's like, okay, you know, now Oregon's going, to you know, the stretch here, they got six conference games to finish the year. And it's like, good luck, guys you know, Oregon's lined up in the I formation. What do you think it's going to be it, so far? It's been seven different plays in every game. They've added a new, a, a new one. So maybe it'll be an eighth one that you haven't seen before. Like, yeah, I just like imagining like opposing teams, like in practice, like looking at this film and just like being like, Oh Jesus, like what, what is this fresh hell? Cause nobody runs the I formation, you know, with, you know, anymore that was Stanford's thing and Oregon took it like, yeah, yeah. I Like that, you know, <laughs>
1: Keep him, keep him guessing for sure.
0: Um, let's see what else. Uh, the other thing that um the the guy that I I wanted to mention, I didn't actually go after him too hard in this article, although I've gone after him in um a couple other articles. Um, is Jeffrey Bossa at inside linebacker. Um, he's had a really mixed bag. You know, like in this game, he has a sack, which is great, and like maybe only Jeff Bossa gets that sack because it's the one where like you know, it's actually really interesting simulated pressure that he gets in. Like he comes in late as part of that pressure. Um, and the quarterback is flushed and, uh, and Rogers, I think sort of walls him off going one way, but then Laura sort of like gets outside of him, but Bossa is right behind him and he catches him by the ankles to get the sack. Right. Which like maybe a little slower of an ILB wouldn't have gotten that sack. Um, but Bossa did. Uh, on the other hand, there's another play and I decided not to put it in my article cause it there was really only one instance of it. And so I didn't want to, you know, put an unrepresentative clip in, but like boss is going to stop a short yardage run and the running back just hits him and knocks him back like three yards. Do you remember that play?
1: I do. Unfortunately, the, it's like, not the proudest moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's just like, that's the thing. You, you know, you have this converted safety who's playing inside linebacker. And on the one hand he can do, you know, some pretty cool stuff with his speed. And on the other hand, like, yeah, he's gonna bounce off a running back, you know, like
1: yeah. Mm. I don't, I don't see something like that happening to a, uh, a Casey Matthews or a Troy Dye or something like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't know, man. Like, I it's it's interesting that he's getting this much play, but I gotta say, like, I, I was glad to see Justin Flo get back. Like, I would like him. I'd like him to really get up to speed because Sewell and flow together. I know this is cliche and we've been saying it since 2020, but like if Sewell and flow are playing at a high level as five stars and like their talent is totally real, like that's that is unstoppable in every other option that Oregon has at inside linebacker. And it's good that they have multiple options. They've got Keith Brown, Jackson, Duke, Jeffrey Bassa and, um, and a couple of freshmen too. Um, And in fact, the freshmen have been playing a little bit during garbage time, and they don't. And I saw them in the spring game too, and they didn't look bad. Um, You know, I like how deep Oregon is at linebacker, and it's definitely you know it was a big problem last year that you know that they had that rash of injuries and they were having to play walk-ons and stuff. Um, You know, I like how deep they are, but like it, it. Everybody on the field who's not Sewell and Flo is, you know, necessarily a step down, even if they're playing, you know, pretty well. It's just, you know, the talent's just off the charts with those guys. Like there's a play that I put in my article where Flo looks like he's just teleporting behind um, <laughs> the left guard. Like, it's crazy. He just like, zoop, like he he just sort of in an instant in the blink of an eye flashes two yards upfield um to 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 get a tackle for loss on the running back it was just like that yep. was the play that was like immediately before the crazy eye look that yogi roth was, was talking about
1: he it was, was like- uh he was heavily missed last year for sure and i know i kept preaching it too but i also think that Mr. Funa was was missed more than people realized last year too. And I think having him back out on the field also helps
0: make a big. Yeah, Funa lot. got a lot of run this game. Actually, it was interesting. They um uh, up until this game, it had been mostly DJ Johnson, and then Funa would only come in, you know, certain times. In this game, it was much more like a fifty-fifty split, um, between Funa and Johnson. Um, so like, yeah, I enjoyed seeing that. Um, like, I I do think that like that. Uh, I think the food is a really good, really experienced player. And like, he's, you know, he's, his body has changed, you know, like he definitely slimmed down. Like he doesn't look like, you know, a, a defensive, a short defensive tackle anymore. Um, uh, and then speaking of defensive tackles, like, boy, I like Oregon's defensive line. Like, I really like this. This is by far the biggest and deepest and most talented in in the Pac-12. And they're really, you know, showing up. Uh, like, I, they really just dominate. Yeah. Like, um, And then I also liked seeing, you know, the kiddos uh, uh, in the defensive backfield. I liked seeing uh, uh, Manning uh, before he got the targeting ejection. I liked seeing Florence. Hell, Florence got a pick. That was great.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to see Florence getting more and more playtime and starting to live up to the to the hype that he came with. I remember doing articles about him because he was you know kind of like well, was he on board and then he wasn't on board and then he was back on board and uh, he was he was somebody that I that I really wanted us to nab and I think he's starting to show why.
0: Well, yeah, and the, you know I, I'm. You know, Oregon's playing TriQuiz Bridges at cornerback, which like, I think I understand because he's fairly experienced and he's fairly reliable. Yes. You know, so far, like about once a game, he gets beat. Every cornerback gets beat from time to time. Like, I don't think it's an unacceptable rate, but like it does happen every game. Um, and uh and i think it's because he's not naturally built like a corner you know he's built like a safety and he should be playing safety and i think there's probably the reason for that you know you saw a little bit of it against arizona was you know like manning uh and and florence are are young and they're not quite as reliable but they are just like much more naturally cornerbacks and like the the day is gonna come when those guys are reliable enough to displace triquas bridges and it won't be like oh you lost your job man it will be like oh good you are freed up to go play your more natural position at safety you know which like i'm looking forward to that day you know what i mean yeah, yeah definitely all right let's take a break uh when we come back we will um we'll talk about uh the ducks football team sort of a mid-season review now that they've got six games in and they're going into a bye week So, uh, I'm going to be writing an article that goes, you know, I've been collecting all these stats for Oregon in each individual game, but it's easy enough to just add them up and, and, uh, come up with, uh, you know, the overall stats. I'm going to be writing an article about that, uh, for next Tuesday. Um, uh, what do you think, you know, qualitatively, you know, what's impressed you about this team? What do you think they still need to work on? How do you feel about this group, Adam? Um,
1: I've been feeling uh, very good week after week. I'm not going to lie. Um, the, like I, the the opening debacle, I said, this has got to be one of two things. Either either we're that bad, or Georgia is that good, and I really want to believe that Georgia's that good. I, I think with what you've seen from Georgia, yes, they are that good. Uh, but I also think, though, that, like I said before, that was one of the worst games that I've seen Oregon play in I don't know how long. The, their uh, uh, their bounce back from that has been uh, exceeded expectations for me. Um, I I was definitely expecting their offense to be a little more high octane. Um, I was expect I was expecting good good defensive things, you know, just given the talent that we have. Uh, I'm not sure I was expecting the offensive output that they've been showing, where they're, where they're just putting up forty plus every single time, and not only that. But doing it so effortlessly and holding back a lot, taking their foot off the off the gas because they're so far ahead, uh, they could be averaging 50-plus 50, 50 a game easily. And um, yeah. like I you said, say- on, the de- on the defensive side of the ball, uh, just the, that defensive line's dominance in, in conference and everything, uh, it, it, the only, only frustrating thing I've seen from them since the Georgia game was the amount of penalties that they had against Stanford. Um, almost to the point where, like Stanford, had more penalties from the their, or no, more yardage more from penalties, penalties yeah. than they did their offense produce. Pretty, pretty that, close. that was pretty yeah. Close. That part was frustrating. But aside from that, man, I, I I really since the Georgia debacle, I would I would give them like an, an A minus. Uh, the minus only being because of the Stanford uh, penalties. Um, well, I've I, really been impressed with what I've seen so far.
0: You know, there's been a couple of like single game issues, you know, like against Wazoo in the first half, there were those red zone, you know, problems. Uh, and then Stanford, you know, there's some penalty problems. And, and against BYU, you know, they gave up some passes and, and like, um, you know, first of all, it was really nice to see against Arizona the first, like, you know, truly, like, this, you know, complete performance where it was, like, no notes, you know, like, no, I got no complaints about this at all. um But, like, you know, maybe more to the point, like, there's been nothing that lasted more than, you know, hell, not even a, a full, full game. Like, nothing's lasted more than a half. Because remember against Stanford, you know, remember when they put up the stat about the first half, second half, you know, um, penalty disparity? Like... It was really just a first half problem, and same thing with yeah. the Wazoo, you know, play calling thing, and the same thing with BYU's passing, you know, like, you know, n- none of these, you know, issues have lasted more than a game, or really more than a half, you know, like Oregon's been good about correcting its problems too, you know, they haven't let, you know, problems fester, um, which you know that's pretty encouraging too, um. I think you mentioned, you know, like, you know, how bad the, the Georgia game was. The thing that's interesting about that is that, you know, I, I I'm able to compile all these stats and, you know, the, the you know, the success rates and the yards per play and the, the explosiveness rate and like Oregon's. And the other thing is uh, what I'm able to do with the database is like selectively exclude games to see, you know, if it really changes stuff. So like, the the two games that I'm probably I'm probably going to wind up putting four different columns in my article, one which is, you know, all six games, one which is, you know, the five games excluding the FCS team. Uh, one which is the five games but excluding Georgia, and then one which I think is the truest representation of what Oregon is, which is excluding both of them, so just BYU and the three conference games that they've played so far. Um, And the thing is, with all four of those, the offensive numbers don't change. It doesn't matter which games you exclude. Like The offensive numbers are basically identical. There's a little bit of a rush um, efficiency boost when you exclude Georgia. Um, like they go up from but I mean the numbers are insane they go from 70% to 73% efficiency which is like those are bonkers numbers even just 70 is a bonkers number you know and, and like the yards per play they go up about like .35 of a yard like if you exclude Georgia you know that's nice but it's like they're still excellent you know numbers the the, the, the offensive numbers don't really change Oregon was moving the ball pretty effectively against Georgia they had some problems finishing drive and then there was the two interceptions but like you know in, on the fundamental on like a per play basis, Oregon was moving the ball fairly effectively against Georgia and, in, and in ways that the rest of the season, you know, it hasn't been different, you know, like it's, it's actually been very, you know, consistent and excellent. I mean, like it's 63.5% efficiency, you know, against, uh, you know, throwing the ball, uh, oh, 10.3 yards per play. 25% of them are gaining 15 plus yards. All of those are fantastic. Those are championship caliber numbers and then the the rush offense is even better you know it's 73% you know it's 7 yards a carry it's a quarter of plays are 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 gaining 10 plus yards which is just like that's insane like those are like those are beyond championship caliber numbers those are like those it's hard to lose games if you're rushing like almost three quarters of your runs are successful, you know, which means if Oregon wants to, you know, if they just line the ball and want to run it four times, you know, first down, second down, third down, fourth down the odds that the opponent stops all four of them and prevents Oregon from picking up a first down, you know, it's, it's 0.25 to the fourth power, you know, whatever that is. Uh, it's a small number. Um, and, and like, it's just not going to happen. You know, like the, 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 offensive number. Yeah. It's under 1%. Uh, like it's, it's not going to happen. Um, like Orkin can just, can, you know, run the ball all they want. And, and like, oh man, is that exciting? You know?
1: Oh yeah. Ground, ground game equals success. Uh, you, you can, you can run the ball. You're going to win football games. Period and um, yeah, the ground game has been uh, amazing, uh, especially uh, like I said, con- considering that you know they have very talented uh, running backs for sure, but not 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 the most experience as far as like playing together and playing an organ system, so
0: where you really see the effect of excluding the Georgia game is on uh the the defense and, and specifically the pass defense the the rush defense numbers don't really change that much they uh the, the rush defense has been good all year um you know, if you include the Georgia game, it's a, it's a little over 60% efficiency, um, meaning the opponent only gets 40% efficiency, which is really good. Um, if you exclude the Georgia game, it jumps to like 68%, which is like, that's a huge jump. And you go from championship to like super championship, but it's still like, you know, you were already a good rush defense and, 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 you know, excluding Georgia makes it a, you know, phenomenal rush defense, but it's sort of like you were already over the bar where there's there's a demonstrable tra- transformation is in the past defense. If you include the Georgia game and exclude the uh, Eastern Washington game, um, which is like the the category that makes Oregon look the worst, you know, um, it's. It, you know, it's close to 50%, you know, efficiency. um, And and it's allowing, uh, you know, 7.4 yards per attempt. And it's, you know, uh, like 12% explosives. Those are still like good numbers, you know, like they're, they're good defensive performances against some PAC 12 teams in BYU or booing that. But like Georgia alone was just such a disaster, you know, uh, in the past defense that like, it really just tanks the rest of Oregon stats. But if you exclude Georgia um, and even if you exclude Eastern Washington as well, like it jumps to 62%. Um, the pass defense efficiency and allowing less than six yards of pass and allowing, you know, uh, only about 8%, you know, explosiveness rate. Those are excellent passing stats, you know? And, and so like when they put the graphic up on this, you know, the pack 12, right. You know, in this game against Arizona puts out, you know, like Oregon's last place in the pack 12 in terms of their pass defense. And I'm like, that's really only if you include the Georgia game, which like nobody's going to be able to replicate Georgia. And that's only if you include all the garbage time stuff, which like, you know, like, of course, when Oregon is putting teams into garbage time in every single game, the opponent is behind and is going to throw the ball against Oregon's backups. Like, that's so misleading. You know, it feels like that's a really misleading stats. Oregon's pass defense is not bad. It's not the best pass defense in the universe. I'm not making that claim. But, like, it is definitely, you know, more than good enough to win the Pac-12. Um, And it's yeah. just the, the Georgia game and a bunch of garbage time um uh, is is distorting the record. Like I I I really feel like you know I feel like you know going into this last stretch of conference games every team is gonna look at the raw stats and say Oregon's pass defense is terrible. We'll be able to throw the ball all over them and then I really think they're in for a rude awakening because they're not performing you know proper you know data exclusion in order to get to the true story.
1: Yeah Definitely, and um, there's no doubt about it that the the, the garbage time will equal less impressive uh, pass the defense stats. Uh, happened happened a lot in 2010 when Oregon was just demolishing opponents. They'd be up by 40 heading into the fourth quarter, and um, you know then then they'd throw in second team. The other team would go strictly to the air, and the pass defense didn't look nearly as you know impressive as it as it should have. You know, given that they had guys like John Boyette and Cliff Harris in the backfield, uh, mm-hmm. they had they had a great pass defense. It just didn't always show up. So, I'd, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, and I I, I do think that Oregon's pass defense deserves more, a little more praise than it gets on paper.
0: Yeah, I, well, and the other thing is, like, when you have a really good rush defense, like you know, a rational opponent is going to be like, well, we're not getting anything on the ground. I mean, like Arizona. Arizona, if you exclude their longest run, they were averaging 2.2 yards per carry, which like, you might as well not be running the ball, you know, like you're getting stuffed, you know, on every single run. Um, and like, so yeah, of course you're going to throw the ball, you know, <laughs> you're behind and you can't run and Oregon's got, you know, fourth string defensive backs in, like, yes, you know, of course you're going to throw the ball. Yeah. No, like anybody's not excluding garbage time and just going by the raw stats on that is just really dumb. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I certainly understand why people want to include the Georgia game because like that was a real game, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know it's definitely for real that that happened and it was a debacle um but like a lot of that is because like georgia knew dan lanning's playbook you know like and they were calling plays that like i mean i put clips of it in my article where it's like this is not Either this is a play that they didn't run at all last year, and I haven't seen him run, you know, watching the rest of Georgia's 2022 games, or they do run that play, but he's throwing it to the guy on the first read who's not his first read. That's his, like, third read in the progression, but he knows what's where the blitz is coming from. He's just throwing right behind the blitz, and it's like, you only get to do that if you have Dan Lanning's passwords, and only Georgia had those, you know? Like, it's it's like, it's not that that game didn't happen. It's that that is impossible for anybody else to replicate. Um, and so it's kind of like not relevant going forward, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, they, 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 they had a sizable advantage uh, simply because, you know, they, they knew landing like the back of their hand. Um, like you said, other teams are not going to be nearly as, as, as prepped for that. And um, heading into the, the second half of the season. Um, yeah, you're going you're gonna to see some tests for Oregon here. And it's, it's going to be fun to watch.
0: Uh, all right, you're gonna have to stay tuned uh, for my article on Tuesday. I- I'm also gonna do a couple other things. You know, I'm gonna throw in some uh, offensive line uh, 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 comparisons. Uh, Oregon's actually been r- do, running a three-man rotation at their offensive line. Um, you know, between Marcus Harper and Ryan Walk and Jackson Powers Johnson. You know, that's something that um, was pretty rare. Uh, for me to see, you know, even uh, as recently as like five years ago, but I feel like more and more teams now are doing offensive line rotations where they're like, we have a sixth man and we're going to play him. Um, you know, and we'll just, you know, swap them out. And that way, you know, everybody's getting experience and, you know, and that way we're, you know, well-situated for if somebody becomes unavailable or, or for other, you know, reasons why beneficial. What have you thought about that? Like, has that surprised you as well? Or, or, or what do you think?
1: No, I think it's a, a, a good idea. And if there's, if there's one thing that uh, Cristobal did right for us, it was recruit offensive linemen. Uh, he, he, he set us up with a treasure trove, and when you have that, and when, when you have the ability to rotate, because, you know, offensive line is, is, is such an important position to stay healthy at. Uh, people, people seem to overlook how important it is to have a fully healthy offensive line. Um, if, you, if you want an example, throw it back to um, Marcus Mariota's last year at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jake Fisher was absent for a few games. He was absolutely running for his life out there. And this is the Heisman winner. And uh, it just goes to show you the, the importance of that, that cohesiveness and, and that healthiness of the unit. And so, I, no, I, I think it's a, it's a good strategy. Um, offensive linemen do a lot more work than people think. You know, They're just like, oh, just stand there and take up space. But no, no, no. They're, you know, they're, they're down there battling in the trenches the entire game, and uh, to to rotate in and out to be able to get that rest to be able to you know get a get a breather come in fresh and and then and dominate even more. I, I think it's a great strategy. I think honestly it's something you'll probably see teams with depth at of the offensive line start to replicate more and more. Now I have Brandon actually seen it from... seen as much in the in the Pac twelve, uh, but you I,
0: know, I actually have seen it out of some Pac twelve teams. Like I, I think. Uh... I I don't think that anybody in the Pac-12 has nearly as talented or effective an offensive line as Oregon does. Um, But I have noticed more teams, you know, I, I think for a long time, the philosophy for offensive line was just like, you get your five guys, you get them to gel, and then you never change the lineup, you know, unless you have to. And I've actually noticed, you know, teams, even though, Like, I don't think they have the same talent, but they're like, let's sort of, let's do that too. You know, so like Arizona, for example, was rotating two different guards, 56 and 58. Um, I've, I've noticed UCLA doing it. Um, I noticed uh, uh, Washington sort of been forced to do it. They've actually had different offensive line configurations in most of their games. Yeah. and, like, whether that's experimentation uh, or not, it, like, uh, that doctrine of you play the same five guys every snap no matter what until somebody breaks a leg and you are forced to put in a new dude. Like, that – That I, I don't think it's just Oregon. Like, that philosophy seems to be losing its grip, um, you know, throughout the Pac-12. And I think that's, you know, pretty interesting. I I, I definitely think that teams – compare notes more than fans are aware of or would think is appropriate like you know fan fans think that you know because Oregon and Washington for example are rivals that that means their coaches are at each other's throats and I I'm fairly certain that's not the case Uh, they compare notes and uh and, and watch each other's film and call and talk to each other like you know like it's it's really a fraternity and so like if one team starts doing something good that sort of breaks orthodoxy you see it pretty quickly get absorbed throughout the Pac 12 um uh for that reason uh And, uh, I I don't know. I I like seeing because I'm such a scheme nerd. Like I enjoy, you know, watching these guys work and, uh, and, and, and sort of collaborate, uh, um, but I definitely like Oregon being a trailblazer too. <laughs> and they definitely have been that on the offensive line. I really I feel like the greatest explanation for why Oregon has been, you know, the the class of the conference for most of the last 20 years has been that they've enjoyed an offensive line advantage. You know, between Steve Greatwood and Alex Miraball and now what, you know, Adrian Clem is doing with Oregon's offensive line. It's just like, yeah, that's your football team, man. You know, and if you have an advantage at offensive line, it's like It means you can play real football like a a lot of I feel like a lot of the commentary about within the Pac-12 from, you know, people who are habituated to watching Pac-12 football have certain like expectations for what a good quarterback is and what good play calling is um, that assumes that the pocket is going to collapse within like two seconds and like assumes that you're not going to be able to run the ball up the middle. Yeah. and like and then you have Oregon, which is this outlier because they can do those things and like I, i don't know i i feel like commentary hasn't like caught up you know to to this like reality that like no you know other 11 Pac 12 teams you're doing this wrong like there's a reason why you guys suck compared to the other um you know power conferences where they have like good offensive line play uh you know, it's because that allows you to play sound fundamental football and you're not like scrambling and having to do broken plays and, and zany plays and and scheme guys open, you know, constantly, you know, because the guy needs to be open immediately off the snap for you to complete the pass to him because he's not going to be, you know, your quarterback's going to be on the ground if you're running a route that takes more than two seconds to develop. Like, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I enjoy that advantage that Oregon has and it looks like they're going to have it for for quite some time. So I dig it.
1: Yep, always good to see.
0: All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, you got any uh, parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? <laughs>
1: well, um, just that uh, we're looking forward to your uh, statistical review and uh, excited about the volleyball team moving forward and uh, definitely excited um, about the football game coming up in a couple weeks here. Should, should be a barn burner, and I don't see the Altson streak being snapped anytime soon.
0: It is a pretty impressive streak, uh, and uh, I'm I'm definitely glad that it looks like Oregon's four toughest games that remain, you know, on the schedule against UCLA, Washington, Utah, Oregon, St- or uh, uh, no, not Oregon State. They're playing that one in research. It's, th- it's three and three for the remaining part of the season, but it's looking like the three tough ones, UCLA, Washington, and Utah, um, uh, and those games are all the home games. And, and Cal, Colorado, and Oregon State, who all look like, you know, shouldn't pose that much of a challenge. Like you don't want to overlook any games, obviously. And, and I actually think the Cal is starting to look more and more like a trap game to me. I don't know. I got, I got to dive more into film study of them, but I have this whole bye week to do that. So, uh, but yeah, like it's nice to play the less talented teams on the road and the more talented teams at home. I, I dig that. And Austin is a hell of an advantage. And now that the students are back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Definitely. All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.